Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, this is Canada's Agriculture Day. A time to recognize the importance of food and all those in the food chain, from the primary producers to the processors and finally to the retailer. We'll hear from a number of people talking about Canada's Agriculture Day. Less cattle were marketed in Saskatchewan last week compared to the prior week. Livestock intern at the Ministry of Agriculture, Emily Taylor, will have the details for us on that. And a weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. This is Canada's Agriculture Day, a time to recognize the importance of food and all those in the food chain, from the primary producers to the processors and finally to the retailer. Most Canadians take food security for granted. Mike Van Masso is an agricultural professor at the University of Guelph in Ontario. What Canada has is this buffer because we export a lot, so if we have a bad year, it doesn't mean there's not enough to go around. It just means that we perhaps have a little less to export and it becomes a little more expensive. If you are sort of a subsistence, produce enough to get by and you can't produce enough, or in the case of the Russian invasion of Ukraine where the exports from Ukraine disappeared, we saw countries that all of a sudden couldn't get food. And we see bread lines, and we see food riots, and we see images of starvation. Mm -hmm. So we're lucky we've never seen that to a significant degree in Canada. You know, we might sometimes have a little less choice. Really speaks to how strong and robust the Canadian system is. While most Canadians enjoy food security, there are some who do not. Lori Nickel is the chief executive officer with Second Harvest, the largest food rescue in Canada. It's really important because we live in a community. We're all in this together. We should be working together and playing together and learning together and supporting each other. So if you don't know what's happening with all of the communities in Canada, it will impact your own life. Food insecurity will impact your own life even if you're food secure because you're seeing it, right? We're seeing a lot more homeless people. You're seeing a lot more addiction and mental health issues. There's a lot of systems issues that are impacting this. So it is touching you whether you want to believe it or not. Nichols says Canada loses 58% of food production 
from the supply chain to the average Canadian's kitchen. She is particularly critical of best before dates on product labels. Best before dates are one of the most ridiculous things ever. So in Canada there are only five foods that expire and if the food expires, don't eat it. That is baby formula because babies need the nutrients. It is products like Ensure for seniors because again you need those nutrients. A protein bar because if I'm running a race and I need those calories, I need those calories. The two others are by prescription only so don't worry about it unless your doctor says so. Everything else is a best before date and it's about peak freshness. It's not about food safety. And so what you're finding is people that are actually food insecure are so convinced that it's about food safety that they're throwing away perfectly good food when they could be eating it. Another area of concern is the loss of prime agricultural land due to urbanization. This is retired University of Guelph professor Ralph Martin. Looking after that class one land is essential as we go into climate change because it's very clear that as we have too much water or too little water or the temperatures are too high or too low that it's the best land that we're going to need to see us through that. So that's the land we have to keep in agriculture. Martin says cities need to have new homes and apartments built in existing neighborhoods. In cities and urbanization, I would prefer to see densification. And there are all kinds of uh, people that talk about gentle densification. And I think it's really worth it, both for the people who live there, arguably they have better lifestyles when there is gentle densification. And we should leave farmland to be farmed as farmland, or some of it is wetland. And we need biodiversity throughout the landscape to have biodiversity corridors linking class one land with two, three, four. So I would like to limit urbanization as much as possible on a footprint basis. The preceding clips are from videos produced by Ag More Than Ever in recognition of Canada's Ag Day, which is going on today. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Bumper to Bumper in Langenberg and Rokenville, your auto parts professionals. Let them find the parts no one else can. Open 8 to 6, Monday to Saturday. Call 306-743-2332. Beef and Forage Report. In the quiet early hours of a cold January morning, a family farm located near Morinville, Alberta, was bustling with unexpected excitement. The farm, known for its livestock, witnessed an extraordinary event that would soon make headlines, the birth of triplet calves. This rare occurrence has turned the farm into a local attraction, drawing attention from neighbors and fellow farmers eager to witness the trio firsthand. Triplet births in cattle are exceedingly rare, with the odds being reported as 1 in 105,000. However, for this family, it felt like a 1 in a million miracle. Each year, the farm welcomes 50 to 60 new calves, with twins occasionally appearing, but triplets were never part of their experience until now. The survival of all three calves is nothing short of a miracle, given the complications that can arise from multiple births in cattle. The smallest of the trio required some extra care, including bottle feeding, to ensure a healthy start in life. 
Remarkably, all three calves have shown good growth and vitality, much to the delight of the family and their community. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Agri-Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Agri-Review. The Canadian Pork Council says it's joining a meat industry coalition that's calling for a rethink of the United Kingdom's joining of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. The CPC said it was joining the Say No to a Bad Deal Coalition, a group composed of the Canadian Cattle Association, the Canadian Meat Coalition, and the National Cattle Feeders Association. The CPC said this move comes in response to Great Britain's stance towards Canada, which it says shows the UK is not interested in free and fair trade in agricultural products. Late this January, the Canadian government announced Britain had suspended talks on a free trade deal with Canada, amid discontent on both sides about the lack of access to agricultural markets. The talks, which are separate from the CPTPP, are among a number of negotiations Britain has launched around the world in the wake of its decision to leave the European Union, which excluded it from existing EU free trade deals. Kyiv urged Warsaw yesterday to hold to account Polish farmers for stopping three trucks at a border crossing between Poland and Ukraine and spilling the Ukrainian grain they were carrying. Sunday's incident near the checkpoint came during a wider protest by Polish farmers against European Union agriculture policies, including allowing cheap grain imports from Ukraine. A Ukrainian trade representative said on Facebook the spoiled grain was en route to Lithuania and urged the Polish government to ensure the safety of Ukrainian goods. A regional prosecutor told Reuters an investigation had been opened into the removal of a custom seal and destruction of property. Poland's Minister of Agriculture described the situation with farmers' protests as tense and called for dialogue. Warsaw has backed Ukraine during Russia's invasion, but relations have been hit by discontent inside Poland against what farmers and haulers see as a surge in grain and food imports from Ukraine and improper competition. Meanwhile, February 24th will mark two years since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's agriculture was hit very hard by the war. Farmers usually follow recommendations when planting and growing crops or raising livestock. A farmer knows that for best results, he should apply a certain amount of fertilizer and spray the plants with the necessary pesticides to protect them. Careful cultivation and preparation of the field is also necessary. But in the past two years, Ukrainian farmers were forced to learn to grow grain with minimal budgets. If they used to apply 600 kilograms of fertilizer to a hectare of land, today they grow a crop using 150 or 200 kilograms. This forces them to look for other ways to nourish their crops. It also changes how closely they sow seeds and the spacing between rows. In many cases, it has promoted wider use of inexpensive biostimulants, though it's not proven they will help. The head of France's biggest farming union says that protests that hit the sector last month could resume if the government does not do more to meet their demands for better pay and working conditions. 
The government is in talks with farmers over getting them higher selling prices to supermarkets and over loosening regulation and bureaucracy, which farmers have said was a burden on their businesses. However, union head Arnaud Rousseau said that with 10 days to go until the start of the annual National Farming Convention, the government was not doing enough. Farmers across Europe, in countries such as Poland, Spain, Germany, Belgium and the Netherlands, have demonstrated over the last month for more money and better working conditions. And a vacation rental company has angered some in Newfoundland and Labrador, who say it used a classic song from the province in a derogatory way in a recent advertisement. Verbo's ad shows disappointed travelers discovering their vacation rental is overrun by squealing livestock, while the song Eyes the By plays as background music. The ad caused a stir on X, formerly Twitter, Sunday night during the Super Bowl, with some saying the classic Newfoundland song was used to connote something stereotypically rural and undesirable. Andrew Taylor, a St. John's-based history student, says associating one of Newfoundland's more treasured songs with farm animals is unfortunate and disgusting. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will continue right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. We have light snow and minus 7 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Less cattle were marketed in Saskatchewan last week compared to the prior week. Livestock intern at the Ministry of Agriculture, Emily Taylor, has details of the cattle market update for the week ending February 9th. Saskatchewan feeder steer prices ranged from $444.50 per hundredweight for the 400 to 500 pound weight category down to $308.83 per hundredweight in the 800 to 900 pound weight category. There were strong price increases in the 400 to 500 pound and 500 to 600 pound weight categories, the only two groups that had established prices last week. Feeder heifer prices ranged from $377.80 per hundredweight for the 400 to 500 pound weight category to $283 per hundredweight for the 800 plus pound weight category. The 600 to 700 pound weight category declined $6.83 per hundredweight from the week prior and their largest price gain was in the 800 plus pound weight category, which had a price increase of $8.50 per hundredweight. She outlines the factors affecting the feeder markets. Reduced feed prices and smaller market volumes are continuing to strengthen the feeder markets. Here to date, there have been 40% less cattle marketed in Saskatchewan so far than in 2023. Taylor goes into marketings in Saskatchewan. There were 10,010 Saskatchewan feeder cattle marketed over the week ending February 9th, which is down from the 12,676 feeder cattle marketed the previous week. And as for market-ready cattle prices... Prices of live non-fed cattle in Alberta were higher compared to the previous week. The price of D2 slaughter cows averaged $132.09 per hundredweight, which was up $1.89 over the previous week. 
The price of D3 slaughter cows was up $8.66 from the previous week to average $118.79 per hundredweight. The Cansacks price for Alberta-fed steers was $219.38 per hundredweight, up $1.88 from last week. That's Emily Taylor. She is a livestock intern at the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 185.42 this afternoon. That's down 50. June live cattle trading at 182.80, down 72. March feeder cattle trading at 247.82, down one full cent. April feeder cattle trading at 251.65, down 152. April lean hogs trading at 80.95, down 17. May lean hogs trading at 85.97, down 2. And that's the livestock market conditions. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Regarding overall comments on last week's markets, U.S. wheat futures were weighed down by a strong U.S. dollar, an improved crop outlook, and a basically bearish Wasty report. Hardwood winter had the most significant weekly losses at 24 cents on the week. Matif wheat in Europe also lost 5 euros per ton last week, and Australian March wheat futures ended the week down 12 Australian dollars per ton to settle near contract lows. We had the February USDA Wasty reports last week. And for wheat, global stocks actually fell by 590,000 tons. But there were no significant changes to the overall balance sheet in this report. But EU wheat ending stocks keep increasing, and the EU and Black Sea will have to keep fighting for markets. Trade estimates for this week's USDA Ag Outlook Forum are expected to be out later today, and we could see some producers selling ahead of what is expected to be a bearish forum. Over the weekend, there were reports of Russia and Ukraine attacking transport ships in the Black Sea, which could slow exports out of that region. In terms of cash trades last week, there was little volume business to speak of. Japan bought 136,000 tons of milling wheat in their weekly tender from the US, Canada and Australia. Tunisia's state agency is said to have bought about 100,000 tons of durum wheat in a tender last Wednesday. And Jordan is tendering for 120,000 tons of milling wheat for reply next Wednesday. Weekly U.S. export sales were up 17% for old crop, with 378,000 tons sold along with 8,100 tons of new crop wheat. So now here are comments on the major markets by wheat origin. And per usual, we start with Canada. We received both the StatsCanD stocks numbers and the December export numbers last week. The StatsCan grain stocks as of December 31, 23, showed that all wheat stocks were at 20.7 million tons, which was on par with trade gases and down 10.3% from last year. 
Wheat excluding Durham stocks were shown at 17.2 million tons, 6.8% below last year's. On-farm stocks were down 8.1%, while commercial stocks were down just 0.7%. If you find graphs helpful, have a look at the stocks graphs in the physical reports. December 23 wheat exports amounted to 1.85 million tons compared to 2 million tons shipped in November. Year-to-date exports for August through December 23 added to 9.25 million tons compared to 8.29 the previous year. That's a 12% increase. The biggest buyer from Canada in December was Indonesia, followed by China and Bangladesh. And weekly exports based on the CGC numbers for week 27 were quite good again, advancing year-to-date weekly exports to 10.9 million tons compared to 10.3 last year-to-date. If we could just keep up the pace, this would give us 21 million tons of exports for this crop year, which would then bring ending stocks down to close to 2.5 million tons compared to 3.2 million in 22-23. AFC is forecasting a 20 million ton export program for both 23-24 and 24-25, where we think we should be able to get at least 250,000 tons higher. We will see. USDA left the Canadian wheat S&D unchanged from last month. We did not get the spark in spring wheat last week and we think the market will be mostly sideways. But we want to look for opportunities to sell another 20% depending of wheat depending on what's being offered in your location. With markets technically oversold, we should see some short covering to keep prices at least steady. Moving to Durham, we talked about the export situation and competition by Turkey at length last week, so we will not repeat the same discussion. In essence, we think that Canada lost anywhere from 1 to 1.3 million tons of export potential to Turkey this year, and this volume is not likely recoverable for this season. We are, however, watching for potential opportunity for some additional sales to Europe or North Africa, although last week's aggressive Turkish sales might have negated the opportunity for a decent price increase into the European Union. In last week's stocks reports, StatScan showed total Durham stocks at 2.96 million tons, which is 27% below last year's. On-farm stocks were down 29%, while commercial stocks were down close to 20%. Almost 80% of all Durham stocks remain on farm. The trade had expected Durham stocks at 2.9 million, so there was no major surprise here. Also, per StatScan last week, December 23 Durham exports by destination amounted to 267,000, advancing year-to-date exports to 1.3 million compared to 1.9 million last year-to-date. The biggest buyer from Canada in December was the United States, followed by Morocco and Algeria. If we cannot speak up at exports, then we are looking at just under 3.1 million tons of exports for the whole crop year, compared to 5 million last crop year. Giving our export projection of 3.2 million, we would see Durham ending stocks increase to 630,000 from 450,000 ton last year. Historically, this is not bad, 
but nevertheless it is higher than expected. Weekly durum exports for week 27 were okay at 68,000 tons, but that is not near enough to even start catching up on previous year's exports. Year-to-date exports uh, as of week 27 of 1.6 million tons trail last year's by 1.2 million. We would like to be 100% sold old crop durum and would like you to watch for any opportunities to sell the remaining 20%. Moving on to the United States. Weekly U.S. export sales of 378,000 were within trade expectations. With respect to the USDA WASDA reports, for the U.S., USDA showed a decrease in domestic consumption by 270,000 tons and ending stocks increased by the same amount. In global wheat production, USDA increased it by just under a million tons, primarily due to an increase in Argentine wheat to 15.5 million tons. On the consumption side, global feed demand was lowered by 600,000, although global exports were raised by 1.15 million, with increases for Argentina and Australia. Global stocks actually fell by 590,000 tons. But in the end analysis, there were no significant changes to the overall balance sheet. But at the same time, EU weed ending stocks keep increasing and the EU and Black Sea will have to keep fighting for markets. Moving to Australia. As mentioned, Australian March wheat futures ended the week down by 12 Australian dollars per ton to settle near contract lows in a very quiet trade ahead of the Chinese lunar year holidays. USDA left the Australian production unchanged but switched 500,000 tons out of domestic feed and into exports. In Argentina, weather models are calling for Argentine, Argentina to be hot and dry for the next week. USDA raised Argentine wheat production by half a million tons to 15.5 million. USDA lowered Brazilian production to 8.1, while CONAP at the same time increased it by 2 million tons to 10.2. There are perhaps some questions around the validity of the USDA numbers here. Argentine wheat remains well offered in the mid to high 230s, but like most origins, exporters would prefer to see a more active demand environment. Official data suggests that exporters there are sitting on a lot of wheat with licenses taken, but against limited demand. In the European Union, Matif wheat lost 5 euros per ton last week, primarily after the Russian government reduced the recommended export floor price from 250 to 235 US dollars per ton. Following that, USD increased EU imports to 12 million tons lowered production by 300,000 and surprisingly increased domestic feeding to raise ending stocks by a small 200,000 tons. The 200,000 ton increase in ending stocks is really negligible, but it did continue the trend of rising stocks for the fifth USDA report running. Regarding the Black Sea, USDA left the Russian S&D unchanged. The main news this week from this region was the reduction of the Russian floor price from 250 to $235 a ton. This took Russian FOB prices down to the mid-220s. 
Reuters issued unconfirmed reports from Russia over the weekend that Ukrainian seaborne drones targeted a civilian vessel. So how would we summarize the week? The EU and Russia and Ukraine need to see record export demand for February through to June to meet USDA projections. And there seems to be little evidence at the moment that demand will come close to those numbers. At the same time, traders are concerned about the developments in the Middle East and about geopolitical disputes in general. This kind of environment will keep markets steady to lower, but as a cheapest food grain, being the cheapest food grain could support wheat rather than corn. However, the government's action last week to drop the recommended export floor price shows the Russians are ready to continue fighting for markets. We would be fully sold Durham and look for opportunities in spring wheat. That's Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up next. Commodities update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 5.9260, up a dollar 60. May canola trading at 5.9940, up 80 cents. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 6.71 and a quarter, down 11 and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 5.92 per bushel, down 6 and 3 quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 5.96 and a quarter, down 1 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 4.29 and a half, down 1 cent. March soybeans trading at 11.83 and a half, down 9 and a half cents. March oats trading at 3.81 and 3 quarters, that's up 3 and a half cents. And that is the commodities update. Welcome back to SaskAg today. The Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is asking producers to consider adding winter wheat to their crop rotation. Dr. Brian Barris is the senior research scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Lethbridge Research Centre. And he talks about the ideal planting window for winter wheat. You know, I think when you talk about the early right away what comes to mind is that green bridge so you don't want to have a continuous green plant material or what they call a green bridge that allows an insect pest or or whatnot or mite aphid whatever you have these types of insects are vectors for disease and they can easily jump from something that's in the field now to you know a winter wheat seedling that's coming out of the ground and so that's when you get that dynamite effect of diseases like wheat streak mosaic virus where that wheat curl mite has jumped you don't want to go in too early. You want to make sure you've done your pre-planning and your pre-planting practices are done and there's been a nice break in that green bridge so that you're now ready to go. And so obviously the dates over the prairies, they change to a degree. You know, there's probably two weeks difference, I guess, to some degree where the very northerly latitudes might be targeting, say, the end of August to be in, whereas down here in the banana belt of the southern prairie situations, we can go. I think our model date in 
in Lethbridge is like, you should try and be in by September 7th. All that though has sort of been challenged a little bit by a seating date study that we that we ran as part of one of our growing forward projects. Dr. Yvonne Lolly agreed to head it up for us. And I think she had a student working on it as well. But anyway, we had a range of seating date studies coupled with uh, some seed treatments because some other work that we did showed quite a big benefit with those right up until November 1st. And so we know down here in Lethbridge, like we can plant right up until the end of October. And and now you're, yeah, you're in sort of a dormant planting situation, but it does, it does just fine most times. But surprisingly, pushing it beyond sort of recommended dates worked quite well. And to the point of that, we were actually really fortunate that we had a lot of our crop insurance colleagues on site. And so crop insurance, they were kind of hard and fast with some of their deadlines, but their response to that was like, well, we don't have any data to support seeding beyond that. And that was the issue, right? Is like guys are trying to follow up canola and they're like, well, the deadline's come and gone. But crop insurance took that data. And I, I know in several cases, they adjusted it accordingly because because the data was very clear that you could plant beyond those crop insurance deadlines without without risk. The only other thing to be careful of on the planting side is this year be a good example where you've got a year, you know, maybe you do want to follow up on a pea field, but it was super dry and group two herbicides were put down on there. And so you've got a situation where there's been such slow metabolic activity that those herbicides aren't broken down yet. And, and I have seen situations where somebody's gone into pea stubble, for example, in a drought, planted a whole quarter and, and pretty much lost it because there was big time herbicide carryover. So you have to be cognizant of, of those types of threats so that it's compatible with what you're doing on the integrated pest management side and that it's compatible with the herbicide program that ran alongside managing weeds as an example. Dr. Barris explains the crop stage you want your winter wheat to be at when the hard winter conditions arrive. I don't think that's as critically important just because some of the work that's been done is showing that it's not the end of the world. In fact, I know a farmer, you know, we've done this work on ultra early seeding systems for spring wheat. And he's saying, how about you guys add to that seeding date study and that you did with winter wheat and now do an ultra late <laughs> winter wheat study? Because he's like, in my situation this year is another example. A, it was a bit of a late harvest because we planted so late because we waited for rain with our spring crops. And then by the time those come off, it's so dry that it's like concrete. And we know it's not a bad, it's not that bad if we plant our winter wheat into dry soil. But if we can't get in with our equipment and do a nice job of it, what's the point? And so he, a number of times, has waited well beyond even his crop insurance deadlines, I think, and has gone in like late October. And he's, and this is in Saskatchewan. And he, he thinks that's a practice worth exploring further. And so we have recommendations, but then we don't have necessarily all the solutions yet to that. I think that's kind of the neat thing about science is that we keep coming up with sort of these incremental changes that are possible with our agronomic system that sometimes are needed because of what's happening on the genetic side, what's happening on the environmental side or, or what have you. And so I've sort of gone off on a tangent there, but that's kind of, I think, an important consideration with this is if we want acres to go up and stabilize with winter wheat, I think we need to have practices and be, be open to the fact that we've got producers that are challenging common perceptions and saying, look, I think this is a better way to do it. So how can we do it in a way that makes it sustainable? He says they could take a closer look at late seeding through on-farm trials.
that's something I think that's worth exploring. And sometimes questions arise out of that. So that's that's why I've always liked where agronomy fits in because you're you're right there shoulder to shoulder with a farmer if you're doing your job right. Sometimes you come up with the idea, but sometimes they do too. And either way is just fine as long as it leads to to new knowledge that solves a problem or creates an opportunity. Dr. Brian Barris is the Senior Research Scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Lethbridge Research Centre. His comments come from the Wheat Profit podcast produced by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Farm Bulletin Board. The nomination deadline for the 2024 Saskatchewan Outstanding Young Farmer is rapidly approaching. To be eligible, you must be under the age of 40, operate a farm with an ownership stake, and derive at least two-thirds of their income from farming. Nominees can be a young farmer, a farm couple, or a farm partnership. Anyone can nominate a young farmer by filling out a preliminary nomination form by this Thursday, February 15th. More information is available by contacting Tannis Axton at tannis at axtonfarms.ca. Tannis is spelled with two N's and Axton is A-X-T-E-N. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of isolated flurries. Another 1 to 2 centimeters possible. Winds west-northwest at 15 to 25 and a high of minus 2 degrees. For tonight, mainly cloudy. Winds west-northwest at 15 to 30, a low of minus 12. For tomorrow, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of evening flurries, then clearing off. Winds west at 15 to 25, a high of minus 6, an overnight low of minus 21. For Thursday, mainly sunny. Winds north-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 13. For Friday, partly sunny, a high of minus 11. And Saturday, sunny, a high of minus 3. In the Paw and Dauphin, it's minus 3 degrees. Swan River and Brandon, minus 4. Show Lake Russell, minus 5. Roblin, minus 7. Regina is at minus 6 degrees. Saskatoon, Indian Head, minus 5. Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, all reporting in at minus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has light snow, a north-northeast wind at 9 kilometers an hour. 93% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 7 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 11 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.